Do you have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single family homes up and down the East Coast. Ken also has owned his own construction company for over 30 years. And now, Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt, along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, and each weekend... Ken's right here answering your questions, the questions that are important to today's homeowner. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email your questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. Do you realize that doing your own project can cost you far more than if you were to hire a pro? I don't just mean in the sense that you've had to pay to hire that contractor and pay an overhead and pay them a fair profit. I'm talking about something that's really more serious than your dollars. I'm talking about your health. And rarely do we discuss this, but we're going to take a few moments today to talk about the physical shape that we are in when it comes time to do these home maintenance projects. And frankly, all of us are not suited to be doing everything. And people, that includes me, Ken the contractor. I'm telling you that physically, sometimes jobs that we want to take on We may be better off hiring someone that has specialty tools and specialty knowledge than us straining our bodies, our muscles, our backs, our arms, our legs, whatever it may be, or suffering some type of injury. Because if you think about it, if you're laid up for work, how much is that going to add to the cost of your project? Not only did you not get it done, but you're still going to have to bring somebody in to finish it properly, and you may be missing hours, days, or weeks of work. So just there's some typical guidelines that I want to share with you, and you may be laughing when I go over a few of these, but I will tell you that there are areas in the world where companies will require their workforce to do this, the professional workforce, before they get started. And there are some very simple items that you can follow to be a little safer when it comes to that home project. The very first thing is simply stretching those muscles. If you're not accustomed to climbing a ladder, it's a good idea to get into a little leg stretches and to do a little bit of exercise to limber yourself up before you start climbing a ladder all day long, especially if you're putting two-by-fours or other materials, shingles on your shoulders, things you just aren't accustomed to. That doesn't mean that you're not capable of doing it. It means that we just aren't doing this on a daily basis. So always limber that body up, get those muscles in tone, just you know, so that they're not going to snap when you put a little extra pressure. You want to be sure you're ready to handle that like many of the professionals around the world do. Also, always dress for the job. Wear the appropriate clothing. Nothing drives me up the wall more than seeing people that are so unsafe in what they're wearing. They've got no shoes at all or flip-flops or sandals, and they're out there operating uh, pieces of equipment that can easily snag and pull skin and other things off and apart and cuts that can be created that you just don't want to have. Wear the appropriate shoes. Wear long pants when necessary. If necessary, wear long sleeve shirts. And for some of you that may be dealing with insulation, for example, you're going to find that's the best way to deal with it and not have this itchy feel so much. You may be a little warmer, but you're going to be safer. The other thing you want to be sure of is not just the clothing, that you are also using the appropriate safety gear. We all learn in the workplace what we need to do based on what our jobs are to be safe, to meet OSHA criteria. But I will assure you that most of us, when we go home and we're looking to do something in our backyard, in the garage, we're putting the addition on, safety seems to be out the window. More people are injured at home than they are on the job. And that may tell you that the safety rules that we abide by at work really 
are beneficial to all of us. So I'm going to encourage you, wear a hard hat if you're working with overhead hazards. Wear gloves if it's necessary for the type materials you're working with, reinforcing steel, those type items. You want to be sure that you have eye protection, that you have ear protection if you have loud noises in the area, and that you're protecting yourself from dust that you're creating. You also want to take breaks from time to time. And no, I don't mean eight hours out of every nine. But as you work through the day, these are physical activities. You want to sit down take a break. You want to relax a little bit. Now, according to the Home Safety Council, in a single year, more than 330,000 people make trips to an emergency department due to injuries from do-it-yourself home projects. That's a lot. That's just going to emergency rooms. That doesn't include all the things that we deal with at our home. So, folks, be safe at what you're doing. Spend just a few minutes getting prepared for this task, and you'll find that you feel better and the project looks better. Very good. Uh, let's go to an email question from our website, and this comes to us from Cinnamon in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Listens to our program on WKCW, 1420 a.m. in Manassas, Virginia. Question's really pretty simple. The answer may be a little more complex. For some of you, though, it says, how do I insulate a fireplace that has cold air coming through it? it said, I've tried foam, but air continues to seep through. Well, assuming that this is an active fireplace that's used occasionally, but that you want to stop that cold draft, and that's the assumption I'm making as I read this email, Sunniman, is you need to seal the opening when it's not used. Now, notice I said when it's not used. For you and others, never seal the chimney in a fireplace that's being used, even on an intermittent basis. Many of you should have dampers in place. If you do, you can close that damper when the firebox is not being used, and that is regardless of whether it's a wood firebox or whether you have a gas insert in place. Always, always, always be sure that damper is open before you ignite any type of fire in the firebox. But if you don't have a damper and you need to seal that off because it's going to constantly suck that warm air out of the house, the best way I have found to resolve this is with a glass screen on the front of the fireplace. Now, if you've got a full gas insert, you typically have a gas or glass screen with that gas insert. But, sentiment in your case, you're talking about just an insert that's put in burn LP or natural gas with these logs, and it's not one of these units that is filling the entire opening. You can still install a glass protective device or screen or glass doors over the front of that. I've tried a lot of other methods over the years, but this is really foolproof because, one, when you operate the facility, the, the fireplace, that damper is open, that chimney is open. You don't have to be concerned with it being vented properly. But at the same time, when you are not, you simply close these doors and it reduces. It, in some cases, if it's a good tight fit, it will eliminate that draft. But sentiment beyond that, I know what you're dealing with, and many of you out there cope with this constantly. You've got this constant downdraft and high winds that pushes cold air back through that chimney. And if you don't have strong winds, if the chimney's doing what it's supposed to, it has an updraft. It's actually pulling smoke or fumes up through that chimney, and what you don't realize is it's sucking all that warm air out of the inside of your house that you've paid to create in some other fashion. It's simply going into the room, going into the firebox, going right out through the chimney top. So seriously consider a glass door enclosure for the face of your fireplace. If you have a question for Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, you can email those questions to our website. That is KenTheContractor.com. And don't forget, you can always reach Ken at our contact number. That's 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. We also encourage you to utilize a lot of the home improvement information that's available at Ken's website, KenTheContractor.com. You'll find information on some of the most often asked questions that we get, and they go all over the place, from roofs, 
shingles, insulation, decking, drywall, plaster, energy efficiency, uh, universal or accessible living, buying and selling homes, flooring, ventilation, heating, masonry, leaks, painting, all available online at one spot on the web. All the home improvement information you're looking for, that's at KenTheContractor.com. And while you're there, if you happen to miss a previous program, you can check out a podcast of a previous edition of Ken the Contractor. Coming up in just minutes on this edition of Ken the Contractor, in our In the News segment, Ken is going to tell you about light bulbs that you control, yes, with an app from anywhere. That's coming up in the news. And also coming up in just a couple of minutes on our green building segment, Ken's going to tell you that if you're looking to replace some appliances, look for that Energy Star certification. That's coming up on this edition of Ken the Contractor. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson reminds you that a house is what you build, a home is what you make it. If you have a question about your home inside or out, you can email your questions to our website, kenthecontractor.com, or you can give us a call. Our contact number, where you can always reach Ken, is 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And let's go to the phones right now as Roy joins us next. Hi, Roy. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. I got a question for you, Ken. With the old washing machines, you could take the clothes out of there and they'd still be sopping wet. With the new ones, they're pretty much spun and they're, they're almost dry. So then you put them into your dryer, which is the device I hate, because it's taking my heated air this time of year that I've spent energy on to heat, and it's drying clothes, and it's throwing that air right outside. So is there any way to bring that back into my house so I can keep that heat? Not in the sense that you're probably thinking of, of just saying, can I... Pull the hose off the outside wall and let all that air come back to the inside. That is probably the worst thing you could do. Because what it's doing, it is discharging moisture. And that's what it's supposed to do is it takes that moisture out of the clothes and dries them. It's it's discharging it to the exterior. You don't want that moisture back inside the house. Because that's going to create a mold and a mildew issue, especially in a concentrated area where you don't have any air movement. Now, there are some devices that are on the market that folks have worked with. I can safely say I have never used any of them myself that operate a little bit like a heat exchanger, where the heat that's going through that duct passes through this member so it absorbs some of the heat, and then it's just radiant heat that's put back into the room. I can't tell you how effective they are. Again, I've never used them. I have some basic knowledge of them. In terms of directly discharging that heat into the room, you absolutely do not do not want to do that. Okay. I know that's not what you wanted to hear because I feel the same way. I walk outside when the dryer is operating and here's all this nice warm air and uh, it's very chilly outside. You're saying, why am I heating the outdoors? I wasn't raised to leave the doors open on the house to do this. Yeah, it's, it's kind of annoying. And plus, like I said, it's using the air that I heated to dry those clothes, you know, in inside the house, pulling it in, then it's heating it up even more. And I'm like, man, it's so annoying. It's wasting my energy. I will do this for you because I am somewhat curious, and you're not the first person to raise this question. I'll do a little research into these so-called heat exchange units, and I'm using that term figuratively, and see what I can find from those that may have actually installed and used them and see if they find them to be effective, if they're really worth the cost, if they transfer that much heat back to the inside. Okay. Right, one more question for you. Now, I've got a, a hot water on demand unit, gas, a propane hot water on demand unit, but it's on its 10th year, it's well used, and it's no longer meeting the demands of my growing family. So I'm getting ready to replace it. What are the things I should be looking for in a new model? Say, so number one, you, you first want to determine what your needs are, and you've already keyed into that because you're saying you have a growing family. You have a higher demand, apparently more showers, more washing machine use, more dishes being washed. Everything that deals with hot water 
in our home. So you do not want to undersize it. You don't want to look at that lower price point, which is where a lot of us tend to look, but you first have to look at what your gallon demand is. What could be happening, the max at one time? Do you have two or three showers or tubs that could be used or filled with the washing machine going, all of those simultaneously? That is the, probably the biggest mistake folks make when they buy these for the first time is, I can buy this one for $300 and that one's 1800 they both produce hot water. What's the difference? The difference is how long they produce it at the temperature you need. And if you have a unit that's adequately sized, it's going to produce all the water you need at a constant hot water temperature that you're comfortable with for as long as you want to stand there and run that water. But if you don't, it will gradually lose temperature and it becomes very warm not hot, and maybe even somewhat coolish, and people get unhappy with that. So that's the number one thing for you to look at. And I think then secondly, I would be looking at a unit that is compatible with the infrastructure you have in place so that you're not having to spend a lot of additional money, meaning for you, and I say this for the benefit of others listening, whether you have a gas or an electric unit, if you're comfortable with that, look at staying with the same thing, because if you're all gas right now and you want to go to electric, that's going to be an added expense. So those are the two things that I've always recommended folks look at since these hit the market big time. And if you're in new construction, it doesn't make as much difference in terms of electric or gas if you have both facilities available. The idea is that it's always sized properly because not only have you had this for a period of time and hopefully it's performed well for you, but I do hear you saying your family is growing and you have more need for hot water. Well, now, you bring up an interesting question there when you said gas or electric. So cost per operation, which is more efficient, gas or electric? That's going to be a tough one to answer because the show's broadcast in multiple parts of the country. Natural gas is extremely common in some of our listing areas, and natural gas is very inexpensive compared to electric rates in some areas as well. So I don't think there is a general answer for folks. The things that you would do would be what I would do based on where I live. I would be looking at my utility cost and many Many of the supply houses will give you comparison sheets based on your area. There are also some websites, some energy efficiency websites that you can go to that you can key in your zip code, and it will give you average electrical cost, average natural gas cost. You can look at average LP cost, I believe, in some parts of the country, maybe not in all. But you're going to have to do this by region, and I, I have found this to be somewhat difficult, so I don't answer questions like this anymore. People in Topeka, Kansas may have a great natural gas rate, <laughs> but they don't, in, they don't in upstate New York, for example, or are very are limited natural gas gas in other parts of the country. So we do have to do the research. And there are people that will help us. If you're going to buy this yourself, talk to the wholesale house. If you have a contractor working with you, have the contractor gather that information. Look, I want to consider both. Give me prices on both. But at the same time, I want to see the anticipated operating cost based on a set amount of BTUs or water that I'll be using during the year. Now, they can't judge exactly what you'll use in your own home necessarily, but they can give you a comparison standard, and the manufacturers and the wholesalers can help them provide you that information. And I'd use that resource. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you for the call. We appreciate you listening. Thank you, Roy. And uh, as always, if you do have a question for Ken, you can reach us at 800-614-2975 or email your questions to the website, kenthecontractor.com. And, you know, he brings up an interesting point about those dryers today, Ken. And I've noticed that, too, when taking laundry out, uh, or washers, excuse me, uh, that with that extra spin cycle, and I'll put it in a couple times and let it just spin again, that it's almost dry. Well, this is part of the energy efficiency that we see in these newer appliances, and that's 
exactly what Roy was talking about, that they are almost dry, which means it takes very little energy then when you put them in the dryer to get them to that complete dry stage. So if you're operating 20, 25-year-old washer and dryer, they're on their last leg. Whenever you go shopping, by all means, take a look at the energy efficiency lines that are available for you today. And if you're getting ready to replace an appliance, as always, or any other major purchase, we always encourage you to look for that Made in the USA label. You're going to find the USA flag on many of the products, on the boxes, and many of these manufacturers today are emphasizing that because they're very proud of the fact that their product is manufactured in the United States. They are employing people in the United States, and we are keeping our dollar working for us in this country We're doing our part as a builder. We encourage all of you to do your part as consumers. Well, and the big issue with this is that dollar works its way not only in many cases through your individual communities, but all across the country. You know, and that's really what we believe is that we spend a dollar with a local provider of materials or service. That dollar is reinvested in that community. And ultimately, it may go to a manufacturer, but if it goes to an American manufacturer, we're employing people in other parts of the country who, in turn, are spending those same dollars for local products there, and they're fueling that economy. So there's only one dollar. I'm convinced of that. There's only one dollar. Somebody started circulating it. As long as we keep it in the country, as long as we share it with each other and we keep recycling that dollar, we're employing folks, we're buying American-made products, and we have service and we have warranty close by. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come right back with more of your questions and comments for Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Don't forget that we're here every weekend at this time, and Ken answers the questions that are important to today's homeowner. You can either email us those questions at kenthecontractor.com or give us a call at 800-614-2975. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt, along with Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson. Each weekend we're here as Ken answers the questions that are important to today's homeowner. Questions about your home, inside or out. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can email your questions to the website, kenthecontractor.com. Time now for our green building segment. We have all heard people say, I'm not looking to put on an addition. I'm not ready to build a new house at this point. I cannot be involved in this green building movement, but I'd like to be. Well, actually, every one of us can. We don't have to be building a new home in order to do that. And I want each one of you to think about this. Are you in the process, now or in the near future, of replacing an electric appliance? Any electrical device, whether it's a ceiling fan, a refrigerator, a washing machine within your house, because if you are, you can be part of the green energy movement. What I want you to do is look for the Energy Star certified equipment when you're ready to buy it. Again, fans, refrigerators, appliances, whatever it is, look for the Energy Star certification on that. By doing so, you can go green. Now, Energy Star is a government seal, for lack of better terms, of approval. It means that particular device has met certain standards, has been tested for energy saver, for savings, and it will not only meet government regulations in terms of saving energy, but it's going to save you dollars every single month within your home, and you get to do your part for saving this. Now, when you save energy, you're also fighting climate change with the Energy Star qualified products, and Energy Star is not new. I've talked about this many times. Energy Star has actually been around for 20 years, so we've had a long period of time to get acquainted with it. All of you look for that little blue and white Energy Star seal. It's usually on the boxes. It's on the sticker. And compare the prices of the Energy Star products with others and then compare the operating efficiencies and the operating costs. 
Do yourself a favor. Become part of the green movement. Buy Energy Star Rated. And you'll see a great deal of savings. You know, uh, in uh, one of our programs, uh, we took a call from uh, somebody and talked about the efficiency of new modern appliances. You add the Energy Star on top of that, Ken, and you can see dramatic savings. You know, we tend to be price point driven, but if we will pay attention to that, you're right. We look at the operating costs that Energy Star is showing us. We're going to find that if we do pay a few more dollars on the front side, we may, we'll get a payback pretty quick. But in most cases, I'm finding that the Energy Star rated product can be equal or less money than some of the energy inefficient products that are available in the marketplace. So whether you're looking for heating, cooling, you're looking at a water heater system, appliances of any type, lighting, it doesn't make any difference. Look for Energy Star rated appliances. All right, let's go to the phones again. Our contact number is 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And that is the number that Elsie dialed. She joins us right now. Hi, Elsie, you're on the air with Ken the Contractor. I have a, a patio. And the sides is all closed in, and the roof is closed in, but the doorways is open. And I'm getting a lot of compensation, not now, but I will later on. Would exhaust fan help that? Probably not going to do a lot of good for you because essentially you have a hole in the wall. You're saying you have, so you're constantly bringing the same moist air back in. If you have no door, now let me understand this a little better. I have draw drapes up that I was going to put up, but I got a heat pump in there, and that's why I can't close it in. Is this a metal roof, or is it a built-up or a standard shingle roof? No, it's a metal roof. Okay, so it's a it's an aluminum or metal awning that you're using as a three season room or a four season room. It's just like a patio. Okay, and then but the door between your house. And this patio, it stays open all the time? No, that's closed. I have a storm door after that. So all you have is a storm door that's sealing off the outside? The kitchen goes after that. And you're getting some condensation on the, the metal roof panels? It's dripping from the roof. That's what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to follow the design of the patio so that I can properly address your question and our listeners can follow along as well. What you have is a room with a metal roof on it that's adjacent to the house, and in the colder times of the season, you're getting some condensation that's actually forming on the bottom and dripping into the room. Probably in the spring of the year. Any type of air movement is going to help you, but if you are simply exchanging hot air and cold air, you're perpetuating the cycle, you may actually enhance the condensation. You're saying this only occurs usually in the spring? Yes, I'm not getting it in the winter time. Well, I'd be looking at some type of air movement because the stagnant air is allowing the moisture or helping the moisture form, but the biggest thing that's causing that is the temperature difference where you're going to be colder outside, warmer inside, and it causes that air to condense that's in there. By allowing the air to move, it's less likely to condense, but if the temperature variances are great, you're still going to have some degree of moisture. But it certainly would help you to have some fan, and this could be a floor fan. When I You asked me earlier about an exhaust fan. I'm not satisfied that an exhaust fan solves the problem. You really need to move air internally, and maybe just a floor fan would be best for you. I'd give that a shot because that would be fairly economical for you to do. I might have the exhaust fan wrong. I might have misunderstood the person that told me. Well, an exhaust fan is going to take your interior air and move it to the outside. That's the typical definition of an exhaust fan. And that's why I'm not going to encourage you to do that because air that you may have paid to heat inside your home, now you're sucking all that to the outside as opposed to simply circulating the air that you already have inside, keeping that air movement active 
is going to help reduce, if not eliminate, the condensation. But if the temperature extremes are great and you don't have an insulated roof in this metal panel, it's going to condense. There's not going to be much way to resolve it unless you can end up with a layer of insulation and a re-roof on top of the metal roof itself. Then you're going to eliminate that condensation potential. Okay. So I'd give a regular floor fan a shot. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. We appreciate your call. Bye-bye. Thank you, LC. And don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. Or if you don't want to be on the radio, you can email him questions. We've got one from Webster right now. Yeah, and Webster is shopping for a new HVAC system. Needs some basic information. Said we need to replace a unit that's 15 years old. It's a heat pump. He said, I have several quotes from local heating and cooling companies. As I compare the quotes, I see different heating BTU numbers tons of cooling, and different SEER, S-E-E-R numbers. I do not understand most of this, but I do understand the prices, and they're really different. What do I need to know? This is really a great question. I'm going to give you some basics here, Webster, for you and others that are buying. All of those numbers are important, and I will tell you, even if you don't understand them in great detail, they need basically to match. So if you have somebody quoting you a two-ton unit, somebody else quoting a three-ton unit, they aren't quoting the same thing by any means. When you look at BTUs on auxiliary heat, if somebody's quoting you 60000 and somebody else is quoting you 90000 they aren't quoting the same thing on backup. So what I want you to understand is you need to get those numbers to match as closely as possible. Then you're going to find your dollars are much closer together. Now, BTU is a British thermal unit. Tons is a cooling capacity for our, our cooling system. SEER is the seasonal energy efficiency, that S-E-E-R. So the SEER rating, the higher that rating is, the more energy efficient that unit is. Somebody quoting you a 12 or 13 SEER is going to have a less efficient unit than someone quoting you a 16 SEER. Someone quoting two tons is going to quote you a smaller capacity than someone quoting two and a half tons. So, again, you need to put those in perspective. Get those numbers balanced. That should be your spec. So I would establish one and then go back to your various vendors and say, look, I'm looking for a two-ton air conditioning capacity. I'm looking for auxiliary heat of 20 kW. I am looking for a SEER rating of 16. If you've done that, now you're going to find your prices are closer together, and it would be easier for you to negotiate, and you'll be talking about the same product. So for everyone, always make sure that you're buying and getting prices on the same product. Don't forget, you can uh, follow Ken on Twitter at Ken Answers and also friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor. If you have a question, you can join us, 800-614-2975. Back with more right after this. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You have a question about your home inside or out, and you can always reach Ken. we got a couple different ways that you can participate in the show. Uh, you can give us a call at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email your questions to our website, kenthecontractor.com. Let's get one of those email questions. We should mention uh, that everyone who forwards us an email does get an answer uh, to their question but can pick some of those that are a little more interesting and we think are more applicable to you, the entire listening audience, and we bring those to the radio. And, and this is one where we're going to mention something, Ken, that uh, will be a little bit of a blast from the past for folks, fluorescent tubes. Yeah, and many of you are living with these, and some of you, like Lester in Overland Park, Kansas, is writing to say, where do I get these now? Because we're seeing a lot of changes out there in the world of light bulbs, lamps, and fluorescent tubes. And Lester's particular question is basically this. 
I've got a number of fixtures in the house, in the bathroom, the kitchen, and the garage area especially that use the old-style four-foot fluorescent tubes. These are roughly an inch and a half in diameter. I'm having trouble finding them these days. What's going on? Well, Lester, unfortunately for you, for a lot of other people, including me, that may have some of these fixtures around, that inch and a half, what's known as a T12 lamp, has gone the way of the 100-watt incandescent bulb. It has gone the way of the 75-watt incandescent bulb. It is no longer manufactured and available in the United States unless you can find a big box store or a hardware store that has an inventory. The U.S. government's allowing the inventory to be depleted, but they can't be manufactured and sold anymore. Those are referred to as the T12. Now, a little education, Lester, perhaps for you and others, that fluorescent tubes are measured in eighths of an inch. So a T12 is 12 eighths of an inch, hence an inch and a half. You were right in your assessment that it's an inch and a half diameter tube. What's common in the marketplace today are the more energy efficient T8s. That's a one inch tube. And you're saying, that's great, but is this T8 going to work in my T12 fixture? No, it's not. And that's the bad side of it. But I do want to give you a little glimmer of hope here. There's some things that you can do rather than replace the entire fixture if you choose not to. You don't have to take it down, maybe repaint a ceiling or a wall area if it's been painted around. You can have the ballast, the tubes, and the connectors changed in that fixture. In fact, I don't mind telling you, I have some that when those tubes burn out, that's exactly what I will do. I'm not interested in replacing the fixture. I will just replace the ballast with the new electronic ballast, which is energy efficient. I'll put the new connectors on the end for the tubes, and I'll put the T8 tubes in those. So that is an option that we all have, and you're not the first person to be somewhat distressed over saying, what's going on with these tubes that I've been able to find everywhere for so long? They've gone the way of the 100-watt bulb. Wish I had better news for you, but at least you have a way out. And that's for not only the four-foot fixtures, but for those of you that have eight-foot fixtures in places like your garage, you can make the same changeover. Very good. Well, since we're talking about lights and light bulbs, it's time now for this week's edition of In the News. Weekly Ken brings products, trends, tips, and services that are important for you to make informed decisions about your home maintenance, purchases, remodeling, and also new construction. And as we have talked about light bulbs and their demise, the traditional lamp that we've all grown up with, we're seeing technology take off beyond what we could ever imagine. Can you believe there is an app to control light bulbs now in your within your home? And I don't mean the ordinary light bulb, though. This one happens to be rather special. It's somewhat unique. It is the Philips Hue, H-U-E, connected bulb. And this is available at the Apple Store. I did say at the Apple Store. It's electronically controlled. This is a low-powered LED bulb that's available for sale through Apple. It's called, again, the Philips Hue bulb. It can display color. You can dim it so you can change from a bright white to a low-level light. You can add various shades of color through it. There are many options that are available. And it's controlled through the iPhone and iPad from anywhere, anywhere in the world. It allows you to do various things from control not only the lighting levels, the lighting intensity, but it also gives you the color of light that you want, as I said a moment ago. So this is where technology has really invaded everything we deal with. Who would have thought you've got a computer chip in your light bulb? And it starts out, this is $199 for the initial pack because this involves the controller. But once you do that, then each additional bulb is much less money, and it will deal with up to single on this one system. So if you want to control all the lights throughout your house then and adjust the color based on your mood and how you feel that day, this might be for you, that Philips Hue 
connected bulb. And that's this week's uh, In the News. Each week, Ken brings products, trends, tips, and services that are important for you to make informed decisions about your home maintenance, purchases, remodeling, and new construction. Going to take a, another quick email right here. And Ken, you said this was a, a, a rather interesting email you got from Virginia from Michael and wants to know about using hardwood on a basement floor, not something everyone would think of. Well, they don't, but Michael's experience is that he's already put some of it down, and uh, he's had a good track record with it, but he really wants to put it in the bathroom, a wet area, on a concrete floor in the basement. So he's a little bit concerned about that, and he's talking about finishing this off. He says, I've used a basic uh, hardwood floor in other areas before, and he said, I've been very pleased with the results. Now I'm concerned about this wet area because of the tub shower. Well, I'm going to suggest... When any of us consider hardwood floor, that we certainly take into consideration the surroundings, the environment that it's in, because not all hardwood is going to perform well in wet environments. I have no issue, though, Michael, for you or others, using hardwood over concrete. I've been very successful with that. As long as you've got a good vapor barrier behind that slab, and in some cases you can add a moisture barrier between the slab and the hardwood, you're not going to have an issue with it. Moisture is going to be the key. You have to control the moisture. Now, you're talking about, in this case, though, moisture from the top. You're putting it in a wet area where you've got a bathroom sink and you've got a tub and a shower and people getting out and getting water on the floor. You want to be a little more cautious about using ordinary materials. I do want to tell you, though, that most, not all laminate flooring, because this is part of your question, can you continue on with the laminate flooring? So most of it can be used in residential wet areas. I always want to encourage you and others to check the manufacturer's warranty and install directions on the particular brand you're using, and be sure they concur. But my experience is that most are compatible with this type of environment. Now, if your material is approved for a damp area, then you need to take several steps to prevent water from getting beneath the flooring, because that's really going to be your key task. And that may involve sealing around any pipe penetrations, sealing around the perimeter of the flooring. That also means that you have properly in some cases, glued the flooring together, but follow the manufacturer's instructions. They'll tell you whether you need to do that in a wet area. So the bottom line is if the manufacturer states their products approved for wet areas, then by all means, follow the instructions and install it. And for you and others that are interested, I'm going to mention one other product you may find that's compatible with your laminate flooring or your pre-finished hardwood flooring, and that's called a click, C-L-I-C-K, a click vinyl. It's relatively new. It's carried by lumber liquidators, and it's available in the same thickness as the laminate flooring products and will apply in a fashion that's very user-friendly. So you have two alternates here. Good luck to you with that. I think you've made the right choice. I just continue on. Just be sure you're following the manufacturer's instructions, Michael. I just don't know if I've ever seen hardwood flooring before. Uh, in a, technically in a basement, and then I got to thinking about it. Well, of course, in any finished basement, you're probably going to see that to one degree or another. Yeah, I've not only have I seen it, I have installed it. Whether your house is a slab on grade, your main level, or you've got a basement, it's still a concrete slab. And I've seen it in all these applications. You just have to control the moisture. Yeah, and uh, that can really be a big issue, as you were talking about, with the bathroom and then being down in in the basement and everything. Those are issues and challenges right there. Yeah, that's the reason I recommend this click flooring or perhaps some other laminate. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor, where folks come for professional answers. If you have a question about your home, you can always reach Ken through his website, KenTheContractor.com, or at 800 614 2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor.
You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com. 